Welcome to Cast Dice, the podcast that explores the great, big, wonderful world of tabletop gaming that we are currently in. Uh, it has been said many times on this podcast that we are in the middle of a gaming renaissance. There are just so many good games out there that we can be playing today. It's hard to know where to focus our hobby time or our hobby dollars. Um, and that's kind of what the purpose of this podcast is, to, to sort of look at gaming, tabletop gaming in particular, in general. Um, we often look at industry events, games people are playing, or just things that interest both myself or my guests. Uh, my name is Brad, and today I am joined by someone who shares a passion with me. Now, I've had several passion project people on recently, um, and this is, so there are those armies out there in those games that are just infamous for certain kinds of people who play them. And today we are going to talk to one of the people who play one of those armies. Um, I should do less chatting and introduce my guest so he isn't just sitting there in the background. Um, we are having a little trouble with Skype today, so if it is a little fuzzy, we do apologize in advance. But I am really excited to have an old friend, an old wargaming buddy, um, one of the old folks we used to go to all the big events with uh, from the old Warhammer days. You might know him from his Twitter handle, but I'll let him say it so I don't muck it up. The man, the myth, the Chaos Dwarf player himself. Reese, welcome to Cast Eyes. Thanks, Brad. Thanks for having me. Now, what is that Twitter handle so people can follow your Chaos Dwarfy exploits? <laughs> uh, my Twitter handle is SuperKeenR. Uh, I don't post that much as, you know, maybe some of the other uh, Melbourne players like uh, Smorgan. Mm -hmm. uh, but I do try to keep up to date with all the dramas and all the uh, controversy that everyone's, <laughs> everyone's throwing around on the Twitter sphere. Well, let's, uh, let's be honest, nobody's on Twitter as much as Smorgan. <laughs> Smorgan, Smorgan and Mulch Cakey. They're, yeah. Uh, yeah. <laughs> those two are a wonderful pair, and I love following both of them. Yeah, um, absolutely. Yeah, so, yeah, thanks for having me, man. No worries. Well, you and I share a passion. Now, I've had people on recently to talk about, you know, G.I. Joe and uh, a variety of other things that I'm super passionate about from, you know, my earlier days. And I, I seem to be falling down this massive hole of nostalgia with my gaming loves these days. Um, and just to go back to old Warhammer days, um, I was always a 40K player and I played 40K, you know, from Rogue Trader, I'm one of those old saddos. And I went through all the editions, but I didn't pick up Fantasy Battle till significantly later. Um, but one of the first armies I picked up um, happened to be from a White Dwarf article when I was, you know, buying it for 40K. And it was the, the, the lists for the Chaos Dwarves. Now, it, they are a controversial army. A lot of people who played Warhammer or still play Age of Sigmar uh, like to deride the Chaos Dwarves as, quote-unquote, not a real army or a, quote-unquote, fan decks. But it is interesting in that it is one of the big... I mean, it is a main army. It exists. There's, you know, options for every part of the game as far as characters, monsters, units um, of every variety... Um, there has been entire, you know, books of fluff written on it. They do appear in the Warhammer universe all over the place. And yet, people still sort of deride them as not real. Um, so those of us who play Chaos Dwarves either love the new Forge World PDF that they came out with where we actually got good new rules for the army, 
or they're old saddos like us, Reese. So um, why don't you tell <laughs> us a little bit about your, uh, your journey as a Chaos Dwarf player? Because I know you've been uh, passionate about them for a while. Oh, uh, yeah. So Chaos Dwarfs have always been one of those armies that really jumped out to me right from the start. So I, I, was, I was like yourself. I started with 40K. Uh, back in third edition, mm-hmm. and um, I didn't jump into fantasy till about uh, uh, early early sixth edition, mm-hmm. and um, and it was around that time I I would say I, I got hold of a copy of the the um, the old fifth edition. If you remember the fifth edition yellow and red Chaos Dwarf book, mm-hmm. uh, and I was looking through that, and I was like, I love this theme that they've got going. This 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 fire this. Fire and metal motif they've got happening, and all sort of the fluff of this. Uh, uh, it's very, very sort of niche, like e- like like edge of the army of chaos mm-hmm. actually fleshed out as this full um, this full enterprising sort of like the most organized part of chaos in a lot of ways. Exactly. Uh, and and uh, I was I love that. I love the big top hats. So you know mm-hmm. the. Um, all, all the all the uh, big bushy beard, you mm-hmm. know, all, all, it was it was just this, that whole thing, and I really loved it. And of course, being um, a, a wee little teen at the time, I could never afford uh, to pick up a full cast dwarf army, as most of the stuff at that point was uh, was discontinued. Mm-hmm. Um, it was discontinued or was phasing out. I think the only t- things that were left at that point were maybe the blunderbuss guys. Yeah. Um, so I just went, okay, well, I mean, I love Warriors of Chaos still, you know, I'm, I'm have a look through them. Um, and that ended up being my army moving forward for a long time. And, and fast forward, you know, a, a couple of moons, uh, they started releasing the Forge World, uh, Forge World Legions of Asgore army, which is, and, uh, speaking of uh, a fringe army, mm-hmm. uh, this is a the militaristic uh, essentially one of their border uh, fortresses uh, that where they exile uh, the, the people that don't get along with the leaders of the main uh, the main capital uh, back in fantasy mm-hmm. uh, and so it, it actually had slowly formed into its own quite large militaristic force that was becoming autonomous there was a lot of back and forth a bit of a power struggle happening there in the fluff and as soon as that came out with the Tamorkin book and they had we had that beautiful hardcover mm-hmm. and all the all the miniatures getting released i just fell back in love again all over again it was exactly it and yeah like you said with the the i think this is where the the like i like to call them fan fiction dwarfs um this is sort of where a lot of that came from then because when that happened, we were in a very big pushback phase from 412. There's a couple of 412 GT uh, tournaments that allowed 412 GTs in them. Uh, sorry, they'd allowed a couple of GTs that had allowed 412 in them mm-hmm. in the States or in the uh, Europe, and they hadn't gone over too well. So people had bought Titans to 1500 point games and that sort of thing. And just uh, there, there was a lot of big pushback on things like balancing issues and. Uh, what's real? Like, should we only be doing G Dub models? Should mm-hmm. we only? This? Dwarves came into that fold. So there was a long time where you could buy a very beautiful uh, and detailed army, uh, and it would sit on the shelf. It, yeah. you, you'd be able to take it to ten percent of arm um, of uh, of events, and 
uh, that all went the long way. I played my... I, I bought a Chaos Dwarf army as this came out, uh, going into our end of 7th, start of 8th edition. Mm-hmm. And uh, it started easing up a bit towards the end. I got my army in a couple times, but there was always this time where it was a hobby project, and I didn't mind that. Yeah. Because I the, the army and the law is why I got into the army, less so than the rules. But it was always sad to have an army that I couldn't play. Yeah. And... Yeah, and when Age of Sigma started, obviously, there was a bit of a jumping up and down then, but we didn't have any rules for the army for a long time. Well, when Age of Sigmar started, there weren't a lot of rules for a lot of things. So, um, you know, I, 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 people jumping up and down about Chaos Dwarfs at that point, you go, really? Really? Why don't you yeah. calm down on that a little bit? Yeah. I think the, the, the scratch that they pulled with the, uh, the setting in a lot of ways helps shape that up in mm. the mindset with a lot of people. Um, and actually, a uh, massive shout-out to one of the main community members in the Chaos Dwarfs is Ben Curry. He yeah. worked G-Dub and with Forgeworld to get their rules put out. Mm-hmm. Um, and it was fantastic. The first batch of rules was it was, good, it was good value. It was obviously designed for Age of Sigmar 1.0. Um, and uh, there weren't any points for them at the time. So when we got General's Handbook first came out and uh, the first two batches of that came out before, 20, before second edition started, Chaos Dwarfs was still an army that were there, but you could only play them in wound um, events. But mm-hmm. this is sort of where the start of uh, the return of the army sort of really began, I feel. It, a lot of people started bringing the army out. It's becoming a more casual environment. You know, you can bring anything to the table as long as it's got rules and you and your opponent talk it over. So I think a lot of people sort of started going, well, no, bring out your chorfs, you know. You know, bring them to the table. Let's see how they play. And the rules they had, they were were okay, but they weren't weren't Daughters of Cain level. They weren't weren't the the Legions and the Gash soup. They... Those sort of big top tier armies that you think of now, um, they were a middle of the. They they felt like a compendium army uh, in a list of other compendium armies as we were slowly getting the uh, battalion books out. Yeah. Uh, and and I think a lot of people sort of started accepting it then. And when we jumped into second edition and they released the uh, second PDF like that you mentioned earlier, mm-hmm. uh, with Chaos Dwarfs, um, they had rules, they had fluff, they had uh, they had points as well. They had a huge write-up in Warhammer Community detailing what Ben Curry and a lot of the they other... They did, I, didn't they? Yep. Uh, ben Curry, Rob Symes, all the, um, the big Chaos Dwarf players in the UK, they sat down and like, right, how do we make this army uh, work in the modern environment and help bring it to the forefront? And I definitely have to say that the actions of those guys and the work that they put in uh, with Forge World, with games, with G-Dub, uh, has really catapulted that to the back to the front of allowing people to see them as an army. Mm-hmm. And I think that, rolling back around to your original question, uh, I think like that whole process has culminated in where we are now, which is a lot of people like, they accept that it's an army, that it's there. A lot of the old guard, they'll joke about the... Um, they'll joke about it being a, you know, uh, not a real army or <laughs> that sort of stuff. Mm-hmm. But at this point, it's playful ribbing because yeah. we're all in the same boat. We're all here to play do- roll dice and have fun. And um, they're not the 
they're in a good spot. They're not too powerful. They're not too weak. Uh, I think if they came out with, like, you know, all, all Chaos Dwarfs had twos to hit with damage three attacks and ten yeah. points a model, like, I think maybe there might have been a bit of a renaissance of the Forge World pushback, but mm-hmm. I think they did a good job and they've really started making it, breaking down the walls of what people view the army as and the and letting it get back into the forefront. I'm I'm low key hoping like down the line that I love my four twelve models, but if we get a plastic chaos dwarf army one day, I would be all over that. <laughs> well, I think now we're <laughs> jumping into fan fiction. Um, sorry. <laughs> <laughs> well, I think just to quickly touch on a couple of the things you said there, um, mm. we really, I, I think what really did make a giant step forward for this besides the hard work of course um of rob and of ben and those guys that you're talking about um gw gw's sort of legitimization of forge world models um especially for age of sigmar the fact that they are allowed in events the fact that the points were redone so that they were more reasonably in line and the rules were more reasonably in line and i think that there's an alignment in the studios now, whereas before that was definitely not the case, especially in 40K. Um, But I think that now people just look at Forge World as, uh, you know, niche, you know, maybe super expensive games workshop models, especially in um, Australia where, man, they're expensive. Um, But if, if we look at that, all of a sudden Chaos Dwarves are a real army. And as you said, we got that PDF drop that happened literally within days of second edition uh, Age of Sigmar dropping. And I'll be honest, um, my interest in Age of Sigmar ties very closely with the re-release of the PDF. The f- I, was, I owned a Chaos Dwarf Army because I worked for GW corporate way back when, and we had access, I had access to the Metal Room. Um, and though Chaos Dwarves were almost impossible to find in the wild way back in the mid-90s, um, or late 90s, um, I was able to buy an army of them. And so I bought one of the mail order guys, Fletch. I bought his army, and then I bought a bunch of metal and added to it, so I had that army. Um, And then um, I volunteered for the U.S. promo team way back when, and I I drove a bunch of people around to one of their battle tours, the Hunt for the Fallen, the um, Dark Angels, way back when. Um, and, you know, hung out, worked at a bunch of the event days um, in shops that I represented because I worked in trade. And then, um, you know, went out drinking with the guys afterward. And at the end of it, um, I was gifted the Studio Chaos Dwarf Army, the U.S. studio, not the U.K., the U.S. studio, which was brilliantly painted um, because I'd volunteered a crudload of time and I basically had done it because I wanted to hang out. Um, I didn't have anything better to do at the time and I was friends with everyone who was there. And to be honest, I wouldn't have traded those experiences for the world. And the fact that they gifted me an army at the end of it, I was ecstatic. So uh, long story short, I've had those two armies. Um, sadly, the studio army, um, I had to sell it after my divorce. Um, sad, but, um, I kept a lot of my original models. Now, fantasy armies don't look the same over time. If you look at the buildup from, you know, third, fourth, fifth edition up through eighth, the model count blew out entirely. So what my original Chaos Dwarf army is not a full army or was not a full army by the time eighth edition Warhammer came out. Um, But what's interesting was I still had most of those, my original, original models. um, And that got 
you know, those were in a box, um, mostly chipped, beat up. Um, some were in a figure case and are still in pretty good nick. Um, but then, uh, you know, I started working on the Chaos Dwarves again once we got the Termicon book. And I was thinking, yeah, this is great. You know, new Chaos Dwarf fluff. I've got this great new army. Um, and I had the the one and only Alistair Unicom um, paint, you know, a big chunk of the, the dwarves uh, for me. And they look phenomenal. But then, you know, Eighth died. You know, the world ended. And I went, okay, well, I will put this in a box. Um, but I always wanted to come back. I wanted my quote-unquote third Chaos Dwarf army. Now, sure, it's still the first models, but it's completely, because I stripped them back, it'll be my third uh, army, and I've added a bunch of forge-rolled models to it since then. But now I'm sitting on this massive Chaos Dwarf army, most of which is unpainted, um, but when that PDF came out, and one of my, my goals is now that I finished my trolls, and yes, I did finish my troll army, boys and girls. Um, and is, it looks fantastic. Oh, thanks, man. Uh, I'm just so glad it's freaking done. Um, but now that that's done, I'm looking to get back into Chaos Dwarfs. But we're not here to talk about my wishes and dreams for the future. I just think it's really great that we have a balanced PDF that has... You know, a, a set of rules that have points that line up with the modern, uh, you know, general's compendium. Um, and everything's aligned. The rules, the points. People can play the army. They can know what it is. And it all makes sense. Um, would you agree? I mean, you've been playing Chaos Dwarves since second edition Age of Sigmar came out, right? Yeah, yeah. So I've been basically, since the PDF dropped, I've been playing them uh, with this new PDF, and I've loved it. Now, we have been a little all over the joint so far, but I think now we're going to kind of rein it in and focus specifically on the army and um, the units and the things we like uh, and the, your experiences with them. Now, if you would like a top-to-bottom review of that list, if you go to the Honest Wargamer, uh, Rob Symes does a wonderful job um, with his co-host to go through that list literally item by item by item. And I've listened to that episode like five times. It is great value, very entertaining. I highly recommend you guys listen to that. They do wonder what happens when, you know, chaos dwarves and, you know, cows hang out for too long. And is that where we get bull centaurs? That, that, so there's a little of that, but they also have some great unit analysis. This will be a more pulled back view. We're not going to zoom in necessarily, but it, we, we will get into some things. Now, Reese, on that show and on other shows that Rob and The Honest Wargainer have done, they have talked about how Chaos Dwarves, they, they rate things up. If you're going to go to a tournament that has five games, they say that Chaos Dwarves can win between three and four. Hypothetically, they are not a top tier army, as you said. However, on the weekend um, was the Age of Sigmar event that I was not able to attend, um, that I painted my trolls for, that you you went to, uh, and you took Chaos Dwarves, and you walked away with the big trophy. Now, it was a three game event, um, but I am curious to see uh, what was the secret of your success. I mean, clearly, good play is part of it, um, but. What are your feelings about, do you think that Chaos Dwarves have the capability of walking home with the trophy in the hands of someone who knows what they're doing and maybe with a little bit of luck? What are your thoughts on that? I think the, the, so the, the event that you're talking about was the Smorgon Con over the weekend. Mm -hmm. And 
Yeah, it was a th- three event with uh, based around the rules pack for CanCon, which mm-hmm. is the big Australian event that's happening later on in the year, uh, later on in the month rather. And um, in that one, we played three very, very separate and very specific rules along with a bunch of secondaries. So I took out the event, but it was, what was interesting about that was I just want to have a talk and a little bit of a shout out as well with mm. this one. I actually got two majors and a minor. Um, ah. Second place actually got three majors. Uh, however, they missed a secondary. Mm. Um, so and that and I think that was the big the big difference is a secondary and a minor. Uh, the difference in points were the same, mm-hmm. and tiebreakers were based on secondaries. Now, secondary uh, objectives are relatively new to Age of Sigmar. They didn't appear until second edition, right? Mm-hmm. Do you yes, do you think that that is a good addition to the game to sort of differentiate um, successes and you know I guess placings in an event? Oh, 100 percent. I feel like if if you and your opponent are both working toward uh, working towards a separate goal outside of just you know take all the objectives or take your opponent off the table, I think it adds an interesting dynamic there that you can try and deny and play around with. Mm. So in the first game, I had a, I was playing against Pat Nevin. And he had a Wrathmonger-heavy generic Gore Pilgrim list. Uh, no, it was, a, it was a heavy Wrathmonger uh, list. A lot of what they do is they force you to attack yourself whenever one of their models dies. Ooh. And I had a lot of very high-powered damage output units. Mm-hmm. So what I did was, for my objective, was I chose that um, in uh, I lose a unit in the same turn. There were secondary objectives were given in the players' pack, not the ones that were in the general handbook. They're just uh, a list okay. of them, so uh, they were slightly separate, but they were still sort of in line with that sort of general uh, level of power. Mm-hmm. Um, so mine was I had to kill a unit the same turn that a unit of mine died. Uh, so how that worked was I put one of my units, the Skullcracker, it was a good close combat wombat unit, into a unit of Wrathmongers. Mm-hmm. And... Um, and he's he's gone in. He's killed four of the four of the five Wrathmongers. Um, then they've, he's chosen the Skullcracker to attack itself, and it gets bonuses against attacking War Machines, which it itself is one. Oh, so oops. its hammers, its hammers and picks just started chewing through all the Wrathmongers, stopped halfway through, and then just started eating. It's like it, it went into reverse and just tore itself into pieces. And uh, what that allowed me to do was to jump, one of my characters was right next to the last war, Wrathmonger, he just turned around and squished it. Mm-hmm. And we both got both our objectives on that one turn. And I knew going in, I couldn't stop his secondary, because I had one big dude that I needed to commit to combat, mm-hmm. and he chose secondary that uh, destroy all behemoths on the table that your opponent controls. Yeah. So it's just like, well, that's inevitable. I might as well make the best. Uh, and I feel like that's a lot of where the secondaries came into place. And some people were forgetting them, and that just sort of that that was really a lot of why the event was there. It was more of a practice for CanCon, mm-hmm. uh, but um, it was fun. And yeah, like you said, I I I took the event out, and I had tons of fun. I had three great opponents. Like I said, I played Pat, uh, I played Jared, a Geelong bloke. Uh, he came up with his Nurgle, and I played against uh, Peter Atkinson. Uh, Bone Splitters Army got to top table nice. for round three. It was fantastic. It was a cunning rock army, and it was wonderful to see that army in action because it was something I was thinking of picking up maybe 
as a destruction army sometime down the, the track. Well, bone splitters have a reputation of not necessarily being top tier at this point. Um, like a lot of green skin armies, gets aside, of course. Um, so yeah, I think it is great that it you know at Smorgan's event we have two armies that are considered not necessarily top tier. I think Chaos Dwarves are perhaps um, seen as perhaps maybe slightly stronger than um, Bone Splitters these days. I'm not entirely sure of what the perception of the quote unquote meta is. Um, but it is great to see those two armies there when, you know, everyone seems to be talking about the same death armies and the same uh, Daughters of Cain armies again and again and again on different podcasts. It's nice to see different armies on the top tables. Um, so, OK, let's let's talk about your army, though. Um, so what did you take in your army? Because it's it's all well and good to talk about the missions and the uh, people that you played. But if we don't know what you had in your list, it's sometimes hard to make, um, you know, our mind up about maybe how the Chaos Dwarf Army worked in those games. So what did you put in your list? What were your thoughts when you were doing it? Sure thing. So uh, I took a pretty standard sort of mixed list with a little bit of cheese in there, just, you know, because, <laughs> of course, why not? Mm-hmm. Uh, I bought two Torx. They're the uh, the Bull Centaur heroes. The big uh, ones. Dear Lord, man. I'm So as an old school Chaos Dwarf player, I'm used to those being, you know, horse size. Uh, and then... I, you know, I bought a set of the new bull centaurs from uh, Forge World, and they are huge. But then I saw yours because I hadn't seen the hero in the flesh. I didn't realize how much bigger that guy is. He's like the he's like the Warhammer giant almost in size. Yeah, they, that the one you're thinking of was Chateau, I believe. I showed you him yes. at the first event I went to, wasn't it? Yep. Yeah, and uh, he's a fantastic model. The ones I bought were just standard here. Okay. I slightly smaller. Mm-hmm. So uh, if you imagine where the bull centaur renders, which is the main guys, mm-hmm. uh, he's slightly big. He's slightly buffed up version of those. Okay. And then Chateau is gigantic next to them. Okay. Um, yeah, no, so I bought the medium-sized ones. Mm-hmm. And yeah, I bought two of those. One of those was my general. He had a couple of de- he had a defensive command trait to give him minus one to hit, mm-hmm. and he had a uh, uh, artifact that gave him a five plus ward save to wounds and mortal wounds. Nice. Uh, the second one was just he had nothing on him. Then I had two demon smiths. They're the chaos dwarf sorcerers, mm-hmm. and they also work as engineers. Um, they have. Uh, uh, hand grenade that deals mortal wounds and they can increase the range of some of my war machines or they can increase the attacks depending on which one it is um uh on top of that i had my battle line which was 10 units uh two units of 10 fire glaives and two units of 10 iron uh swan mm-hmm. uh and therefore they're to hold objectives the fire glaives they they have the halberds they shoot they have an okay combat profile but nothing to write home about yeah uh and the iron sworn they have a slightly better with ren one uh but they're more for objective holding um and they are the so they have the axes and shields they're the more traditional combat dwarves or are you two-handed weapon thing those no 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 so uh that's the big thing with the pdf that a lot of people uh didn't didn't necessarily agree with is they took a lot of the weapon options for chaos dwarfs away. Oh, that's right. They so did. Bull Sentinels, yeah. Bull Sentinels lost their great weapons as did the iron swan. Mm-hmm. Um, and, uh, a lot of the character options are gone away as well, except for the chaos dwarf hero himself. He still has some in there. Mm-hmm. Um, and yeah, that's, that's good in a way. Cause it's helped streamline a lot of it. And a lot of the, uh, a lot of the armies you're seeing now are having one unit, 
one option choices. Mm-hmm. So that's just that's just them sort of streamlining everything back instead of having an army that has 15 different options per mo- unit. Bring it back down to what everyone else is doing. Just again, further legitimizing what the army's about. Exactly, and it also it it represents Forge World's actual range um, because they don't have dwarves with two-handed weapons. They also don't have the K- uh, Kadai Destroyer, the giant uh, Balrog, bloodthirster-esque you know monster that used to exist in the army list that was sort of retconned out. And while we do still have the smaller fire demons that they can get to, and we'll get to that in a second because I know they're in your list, the big one, of course, is gone. And I think that was nice that they, on one hand, as a Chaos Dwarf player, yes, I want more options in there. On the other hand, it, I, I get why they did it. Um, they have you know just streamlined it all out. And I know that the classic models, like mine, the big hats, I have guys with two-handed weapons, but I also have a lot of guys with, you know, axes and shields so it's not a big deal for me just to you know bury the guys with big weapons in the back and just use them as differentiated models so i don't have repeats yeah and that's that's exactly it as well as like uh, th- that's sort of what i feel what it comes back to is just if you're using the great weapon chaos dwarfs from the old range then exactly like what you said just put them in or have them as their own unit as long as you say they're iron spawn i, mm-hmm. I don't see any issue with that um, and yeah, with the same with the destroyers. Interestingly, apparently he ended up becoming uh, like they had a model that was a prototype, and he became I think it's uh, one of Samus. I think it was. Yep. Yeah, I believe it was Samus or Skark Bloodborne. One of those two big four twelve models. Uh, they've sort of they've redone the pose slightly, and they've bought it out as a corn demon essentially yeah it's the second one um Seamus was more of a a, a Nurgle model so yeah oh okay yeah. it's definitely but yeah I'm glad that they did that um that said when I when I was trying to when they were talking about it taking years way back when in eighth edition for that model to come out I bought the forged rogue idol um and so my green skins now have a rogue idol from what was going to be my Kadai destroyer <laughs> so uh you know Again, turning turning lemonade into lemons. No, the other way around. Uh, Race, let's stop um, digressing again. It's just so easy to talk. Chaos Dwarfs. Let's get back to your list. So you have four troop units, two units of ten of each. The shooty dwarves with the glaives and the, sh- and the choppy dwarves with the axes and shields. So what do you have after that? Yeah, so the, the, uh, the next one to round out the combat was uh, six Kadai. And nice. though the fire guys you mentioned earlier, they're three inch range. They're good value, tons of attacks. They hit like a wet blanket though, so you need to really rely on the weight of numbers for them. But they um, fly, right? So you can actually fly around the battlefield more, like uh, get around the battlefield more easily compared to chaos dwarves who are traditionally, or dwarves in general who are traditionally slow. They're sort of your fast. Sure, they may not have rend, or they may not have the thing that you need to get through people's armor but you can sort of cherry-pick your targets more easily because of their speed, right? Oh, 100%. So they are far and above the fastest unit in the army, not only having an 8-inch fly move, but they can also run and charge. Oh, yeah, of course. Uh, and they're also ethereal, so you can. Uh, they've only got a 5-plus save, but having that ability to just go into something from potentially uh, minimum 14 inches away, if you if you spend a command point for the run, you, you can, you, they have a huge bubble that they can threaten. And that really lets you pick it apart. And 
in an army where, like you said, everything's standing still for the most part. Uh, it definitely brings that back. Right on. Now, you said you had a Skullcracker as well. Yeah, so the last the last units I have are all War Machines. I've got three Magma Cannons and a Skullcracker. Now, I do uh, like how you said in like one tiny little, like, oh, I got three Magma Cannons and then moved on to the other thing. So is three, oh, no. is three Magma Cannons I... sort of <laughs> cheesy or giddy? Or is that, uh, am I just picking on something that, you know? Isn't as Magma big a deal. cannons have been the terror of every Chaos Dwarf list that have ever come out since the Tamarkin book. And three Magma cannons, they, uh, I'll break them down in a second. We'll talk about the Skullcracker, okay. but Do it. Ma- Magma cannons are infamous, and we'll, we'll get to them in a second. But okay. yeah, the Skullcracker, I had tons of fun. This is actually the first event I talk, took him to, and I haven't played him yet at all. Um, I changed my list uh, Friday night uh, when I was submitting it to CanCon. And I sat down and thought, I have no idea what I'm meant to do with this model. Turns out, I don't need to do anything with it. I put it at my enemy, and he walks out the other side. <laughs> uh, it's he—he he was amazing from start to finish in the event. I had tons of fun playing the model. I definitely—it's a big shout out as well to the Chaos Dwarf community. They—they uh, they, I put up a couple of lists and sort of said, Hey, listen, this is what I want to do with the army. What do you guys recommend? And far and above, everyone was saying, Put the Skullcracker in as the Iron Demon instead. Um, uh, you know, drop. The, I was originally running a battalion with a Iron Demon in it to uh, get some extra bonuses, and they said drop that. You know, put in some uh, extra stuff, and um, ended up taking their advice just to see how it got along. Because I'm like, you know what? I'm here for you know to roll dice and have fun. If these guys reckon this will make the game more interesting, then why not? And mm-hmm. yeah, it was tons of fun. It, it it's a do you want me to go over the profile for it? Yeah, why don't we do that? Because people need to know what we're talking about. So talk us through what it does and why was it such a big part of your list. Yeah, sure. So it's uh, it's 11 wounds with a 3 plus armor save, so it's pretty resilient. Mm-hmm. It's got a monster degrading scale as well. Um, but the biggest thing is its combat stats are pretty ridiculous. So it has a 2d6 uh, 3-inch range uh combat attack that does d3 damage uh and the important thing about that one is it hits on threes it wounds on threes uh wounds on threes down to fives depending on wounds yeah uh uh, but what you can do is you can increase the amount of d6 that you roll up to 3d6 or 4d6 um now however every time you do that and you roll above uh 12 12, Mm mm-hmm on that, so which would be obviously the maximum amount that it could do with the uh, with the two d six. Two d six, yeah. Basically, that was sort of like you're, you're pumping it far and above what the machine itself can handle. Uh, you take d three mortal wounds at the end of that unit's attacks. Uh, it also has like an attack where it can run over the enemy, which is just uh, fours and fours to hit and wound and two damage flat. Uh, so it's it's funky, but it's mostly the hammers and picks are what you're there for. Um, and did you find when you were using this thing that, um, I mean, 2d6, you're going to get an average of about seven, right? Did you find when you were using this thing that you were bumping up its power and did that bite you? Is, is it, does it pay to go big with this thing or is it situational? Uh, so I went 46 every single time he attacked. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. It's no guts, no glory. And, uh, he killed himself, uh, 
two out of three games. Okay. And he was he was down to four wounds uh, in the last game, and that was after me. Oh, we'll get to the last round, uh, mm-hmm. but that was pretty ridiculous how well he rolled on that one. Nice. Um, and yeah, so it's, it's it has tons of damage. It's kind of fast as ten inch movement, so it can threaten a bit of the board edge. It doesn't keep up with the Kadai though. Um, and it, it did work all game because I could put it out on the flank uh, near an objective and forget about it because I know it's going to hold that objective and clear off the chaff that the opponent sends, uh, and it can just it can just help break open a lot of the lines uh, in that regard. Yeah, that, that's one of the things that I'm still getting my head around with Age of Sigmar. As a longtime 40K player, uh, I definitely have in my mind, and a bolt-action player, and you know, war games in general, the idea of being able to move around wherever you like. Um, and I still have, because I haven't played uh, Age of Sigmar with Chaos Dwarves, when I think of the Skullcracker, when I think of um, some of the war machines, um, I, I still think of them being sort of fixed arc and being, uh, you know, in a, in a rank and flank <laughs> game and being outmaneuvered so that people could just get around this thing and then it wouldn't do it. But you can't do that anymore. It, I mean... And especially given that even when it's most hurt, it's still moving six inches, which is faster than other chaos dwarves in the list. You really can take out chaff. I mean, you can't. It's hard to get around this thing um, mm. in a way that it just wouldn't have been in prior editions of fantasy. Oh, exactly. And in fantasy, like the skullcracker was even more nerfed. It could only move in a straight line. That's right. And- yeah, it, it was. You put it down on the table, and you just hope your opponent was there when you got to it. Um, it, it was. I love the uh, the old Skullcracker, uh, the model, but I never picked one up for fantasy just because that and the Iron Demon were just so hard to play for exactly the reasons you said. Mm-hmm. Right on. Um, so what? So yeah. So uh, yeah. So the big the big bugbear that we've been avoiding is the magma cannons. <laughs> um, <laughs> now hold on before you get to the magna cannons as as a long-term chaos dwarf player my favorites of course were the classics i i loved um the dreadquake mortar i think is what they call it now and you know the death streaker rockets those were always my favorite i loved in the classic game that you could fire you know the 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 dreadquake and it would hit the ground and everyone around it would sort of go half movement because they were shaky because the ground was moving so much and it would just as a chaos dwarf player that was my favorite and of course i have the bits to make two new ones um scratch build giant ones based on the original classic model because i desperately wanted to put that in my edition sorry in my army but everyone in age of sigmar second edition keeps saying don't do it. Don't do the mortar. Do the magma cannon. And it's a you know, is it is it just that the mag magma cannon's that good, or is it that the other options are aren't as good as maybe other artillery piece? Is shooting just is it because shooting's just not a thing? Uh, talk to us a little bit about that because shooting this is really the addition of combat, isn't it? Yeah. So there's there's definitely a lot of that come going around at the moment. It's all about having models on objectives and being able to push your opponent off them when you need. Mm -hmm. Uh, And definitely shooting has a lot of those options there available, but the, you need a lot more of it in the army to really bring things forward and sort of like the army, like the bone splitters army I played was playing cunning rock, which let him shoot in the shooting phase. And he doubled down and had a big block of 30 savage orcs with, uh, he could buff them up with two extra attacks and let them shoot in the shooting phase. Mm -hmm. And 
uh, you can put out a ton of attacks, and there were still games where uh, uh, there, were, there were still there were still games where that just wouldn't be enough because you're looking at 90 witch elves across the table with a four, five plus armor save and a five plus rerollable ward save. Yeah, and it's just not enough to push them off without running in and throwing weight of dice in combat. Right. So shooting has definitely gone on the wayside. I feel like it's making a bit of a renaissance now with all these support heroes running around. And mm. you take that minus one that you get for lookout so and you're like, okay, cool, I'm still going to drop this many shots on with Celestial Ballistas or with a Cunning Ruck or with Magma Cannons. And uh, it's starting to come back now. But And that's sort of where the, the Dreadquake Mortar and the Death Shrieker both fall. Okay. So they, um, they have a limited number of shots. They don't deal that much damage. And they cost nearly as much. Oh, so the Dreadcrack Mortar costs more than the Magma Cannon, and the Death Shrieker costs only 20 points less. Mm. So uh, they they have... like The Dreadcrack Mortar, honestly, I, I love. I think, I think it is an underrated thing. I think if you put all the buffs on and you're targeting the right models, I think it does have a really good chance to do well. Mm. So its its attack is a 40-inch range, doesn't need line of sight. It has one attack which you can potentially put up to two, um, and it hits on fours, which can hit on threes uh, if you're targeting a unit of, I believe it's ten or more. Nice. Um, which, in a lot of horde metas, especially with the gets coming out, there's going to be more armies with units of, t- you know... Ten or more, exactly, and that—that's exactly. Oh, sorry, it's uh, if the infernal engineer is nearby, so you okay. can get him up to threes to hit, threes to wound, rend two, damage d six. So he can put out some damage there. If you're firing, you can make him fire two shots instead of one on a three plus with the by lashing the ogre. Mm-hmm. Um, so two of those falling on a unit is no joke, but uh, it's just the the you're still losing out against the, the support heroes because obviously only hitting on fours, going up to fives with one shot, potentially two, it just doesn't really carry the weight nearly as much as a magma cannon does. Right. Um, and the Death Shrieker is fantastic. You could put... If you, uh, Death Shrieker is definitely something, if you're going to take one, you need to take three. And at that point, you can take, you can take maybe a couple of the others, mm-hmm. but you're, put, you're putting 360 points on the table to fire off... Uh, up to 12 shots a turn mm. uh, across the table, ignoring line of sight. And it could definitely put the punishing game on. Uh, but it's definitely something you have to go all in on, which takes away from the ability to take Magma Cannon, Skullcrackers, Iron Demons, uh, well, which are all the punishings. Well, I mean, 12 shots, n- ignoring line of sight. I'm trying to think of the range on I don't have it right in front of me. But if we're talking about... Um, you know, people are pl- going to be playing the Gits, which have that giant terrain piece in the middle. Uh, likewise, uh, you know, Sylvaneth or, you know, Wood Elf armies with all of the woods out there. Being able to avoid line of sight and get to the things behind the things that are hiding um, seems to be a pretty valuable, um, you know, pretty valuable, ski- you know, ability uh, given the size of a table and given the de- Death Shrieker rockets are 36 inches. Um, I just looked it up while we were talking. But yeah, it doesn't seem bad. Yeah, and exactly. I was looking it up as well because I was, I was curious. And it, exactly it. Having potentially, uh, was it one attacks if you've got the engine here nearby and one to hit rolls if it's targeting a unit of five or more models. So it's, three, it's the same value as the, as the Dreadquake Mortar. It's only rend one damage D three, but you're putting out 
three extra attacks with that. So you can still do up to nearly the same amount of damage. You ignore line of sight, uh, and uh, yeah, you could obviously you can select different units with that as well. And that's exactly it. You're starting to see there's like the Ideneth, the Sylvaneth trees, mm-hmm. just 15 trees on a table. Um, yeah, the, that big gigantic moon uh, a, a thing that the Gloom Spite gets are going to be bringing. Like, just you can lock out like swaths of the table with that yep. model. And it's just, it's definitely is going to be coming that. And I mean, honestly, if moving forward, they're definitely a model that I want to pick up for that reason alone as well. Like you, you've got the same sort of thoughts I've got going into it. Um, and th- the models are wonderful. <laughs> like the old school, yeah, like right? you, you have the, you have the old ones, the mm-hmm. old first ed ones uh, or not first, yeah. second, the site, the big hat versions. Yeah. 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 And the, the old sort of the old, um, rocket battery style, uh, missile mortars mm-hmm. just looks really cool. And this new one with the, spinning dragon head missile looking uh mortar just they look fantastic they do they look great now as great as those are though the magma cannon is perceived to be night and day better so why don't we talk about if those aren't bad what's good well then that's exactly it so the magma cannon it really does and it does nothing else that a lot of the other shooting thing does in, does in the game. So we see it with uh, Beast Claw Raiders with their their Frostmorn, the the ice ball that they can shoot. Mm-hmm. We've seen it with um, the flame cannon that the Dorada and the Dispossessed can use. Mm-hmm. Uh, but what the magma cannon does is it doesn't need to roll to hit. Ooh, yeah, that's so huge. It, I mean, that, it is yeah. massive. That's why combat is so deadly in bolt action, because in shooting, you have to roll to hit and you have to roll to wound. By getting rid of one whole set of rolls, even if you're hitting on threes, um, that's two-thirds of the time. You are losing a third of your dice when you make that roll, theoretically. So if you get rid of that, I mean, that's, that is unbelievably huge, um, so you just get to keep so many more dice in your pool. And then to be able to wound is, yeah. So go ahead. Sorry. I, I'm just blown away <laughs> no, at how no, no, good. And then, you know, you start throwing in how good it is to wound, which I'll let you explain. That's huge. Oh, 100%. And it, it, it really opens up a lot of tactical options there. So you can start sniping heroes out of... Um, you know, support heroes, you can start taking out isolated units and you know you've got that option there. And they also get plus one to hit against units of 10 or plus one to hit. It's not really to hit. You roll a dice and on a three plus, uh, magic things happen. Uh, we'll get to that in just Magical, yeah. Magical. But you get plus one to that if a unit has 10 or more models. And I took advantage of that in all three games, just targeting a big unit and just dealing up a bunch of wounds early on so what the magma cannon does is and i've sort of skirted around the issue it deals mortal wounds yeah it does Uh, oh yeah it does and it deals a mortal wounds equal to the dice roll you roll on that quote unquote to hit roll that you roll so that you need a three plus to hit a unit but every single time you roll that three plus you're dealing that many mortal wounds. So if I roll a six on the dice to, finger quotes again, to hit, mm-hmm. um, it deals six mortal wounds. So if I'm if, if that's going into a unit of ten or more, that's seven mortal wounds. 
You know, it's mm-hmm. it's it's ridiculous. And I bought three of those, which did allow me to really just triple down on putting out those mortal wounds across the table with a 18 to 24 inch range if they're within three inches of a engine seal of mm-hmm. a sorry of a uh, demon smith. Yeah. Yeah. So I guess I said that backwards. It's not this thing doesn't skip the roll to hit. What it skips is the roll to wound. It automatically wounds. Which well, it, it's yeah. it's yeah, it skips both in a way because it doesn't actually roll to hit, which means that if your opponent has like negative four or five or whatever they want to hit on the unit, you don't care. You just need that three plus. Right, but still one third of the but time, yeah, if you roll a one or two, you're not hitting anything. Exactly. Yeah. But yeah, and that, and like you said, with the, with the bolt action, it's sort of the opposite. So you don't have to roll to uh, uh, to hit. Mm-hmm. Uh, you don't have to roll to wound, rather. Uh, yeah. You just do that much damage. Yeah. That's awesome, man. Whoo, whoo, so good. Yeah. And it's mortal wounds. Whoo, yeah, love it, love it. And I love that. Um, I mean, yeah, eighteen inch range, not huge, but I mean, it, it's nothing to sneeze at. That's that's not bad. Um, but also to throw that extra six on if you're within six of a demon smith, that's excellent. Oh, sorry, three inches of a demon smith. Three. That's yeah, yeah. great. Uh, and if you have the, um, so were you tempted at all to take the, uh, battalion, the artillery train, because doesn't that allow you to use the demon Smith, not within three inches, you can count the demon Smith rule if it's anywhere on the table. Yes. hundred percent. So that was actually the battalion I mentioned in the list that I dropped with, cause you need an iron demon in it. You need an iron demon. demon of course. And right. the iron yep. demon's great, but it's a gun platform first and a combat unit second, and I wanted that extra punch in the army. Yeah, yeah. So I made the choice to drop the battalion and run an extra demon smith to cover that weakness that I had just opened up. Because mm-hmm. obviously, one guy being near three magma cans is a tall order. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, I mean, tall order for you know for, for short dwarves, but mm-hmm. sure. It's... And, it, and it's all hat. <laughs> yep. You got it. Yeah, it's all hat. Exactly. Yeah, yeah. They're, exactly. they're six foot tall if you count the banner. Well, yeah. <laughs> Yes. Um, and, yeah, and that's... that's uh, I, I was playing around with that battalion. I definitely like it as well, uh, especially with things like um, the Death Shrieker Rocket Battery mm-hmm. or the, the Dreadcrank Mortar, being able to give them buffs whilst your Demon Smith is up, like, potentially holding an objective or going after the relocation or by running around. Casting spells, um, doing what it needs to do, because, that, as you and, say, they are the engineers and the spellcasters. Yeah, and the, the Demon Smiths as well, funnily enough, they have one of the best spells in the uh, in the army, and I'd have to say it's definitely in the top 10 for the game. They're so good, uh, right? And so the for, what they do is they have a spell, Ash Storm, which is, mm-hmm. like, obviously you know, but I'll, I'll say it for everyone Please. else. Um, it's only a casting value of 5, and it has a massive 36-inch range, which potentially puts you out of dispel range as well or unbind rather mm-hmm. and it gives a target unit minus one to hit and they can't run right so good and you have no idea how many times i've like there's there's three daughters of cane players in the local Werribee scene which is where i'm based from mm-hmm. and uh just putting put just rolling that dice and putting that can't run onto a big block of 30 witch elves just it's, it feels so good it just yeah, like okay, you you want to bring four hundred attacks to the table? That's fine. You can put it over on the other side of the table where I can't, don't have to deal with it for at least one more turn. But it's it's the old <laughs> it's the old Earthshaker rule, 
It's the thing that I yeah. love so much. Well, you know, running around. I mean, my favorite thing in the old list was screaming Hashut at my opponents as I rolled dice for Conflagration of Doom, which was the old spell. Um, and earthshakering everything so it couldn't move and had to sit there while my earthshaker cannon smashed it to pieces. And then when yeah. they did get close enough, you know, my bull centaurs and my, um, you know, axe and shield dwarves just walked into them. Um, now, whether I was always successful or not, eh, but it was, it was so, th- I mean, if you think about it thematically on the tabletop, it was just so, it was so chaos dwarves. And I think that mm. the fact that they took it away from the dreadquake, but they gave it back in the spell, which you're probably more likely going to see. I just love that that's in there. And the fact that that spells there means I have two demon smiths already painted and ready to go. Um, it was just going, yes, yes, those guys in my list right now, do it. Love them. <laughs> exactly. And they're not expensive. And- no, they're 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 um they're they're hundred points as mm-hmm. well. So and their combat profile is okay. And like I said, they've got a th- they've got a six inch grenade that they can throw as a last you know as a mm-hmm. as a sort of a hail mary if they send around some some heart renders or something, uh, to try and take out your war machines. But uh, so they're, they're they're def- they're they're nothing to sneeze about. And also what you're saying, like the, the bringing back the fluff of the army with uh. So they have two allegiance abilities for Chaos Dwarves. I'm glad you're bringing that up, yep. Yeah. I, I, like, I love this just from a thematic and from a feel of the army because the two rules they have is they always have access to the Fireball spell from the mm-hmm. Realm of Pass. Uh, just represent the fact that they they travel and where they travel, the realm of Ashi, the realm of Fire, that they're so intrinsically linked to comes with them. Mm-hmm. And uh, the other one that they have... Uh, they can also uh, they can also use a uh, ability called Burning Skies, which is another. It's a Realmscape feature from the from Ashi as well. Mm-hmm. And it, what it does is because they're coming along with fire. There's there's you know there's cinders and the and soot and ash and all the stuff that the Chaos Dwarfs bring into combat. Uh, what it does is it deals mortal wounds to units when they fly too far. They fly too far through it, they take damage. Mm-hmm. And I just imagine that idea of just this gigantic Chaos Dwarf army marching in the battle. They've got smoke and glowing cinders, like, launching off all their models and just floating up in the air. And you've got a dragon flying through, it gets cinder in his eyes, and suddenly it's, you know, it's taking damage that it didn't expect in a, mm-hmm. you know, in a, in a karma sky. And... Um, and it's just because the army is so intrinsically linked to the fire and shadow that we mentioned right at the start. Exactly. And the other, the other command, the other trait they have, which is again a very intrinsic part of the Chaos Dwarfs, is their armor. Mm-hmm. So the Chaos Dwarfs are the artificers for the Chaos. They build the army. They build the armor, war machines. Uh, they they do a lot of the manufacturing side of the Chaos. That's represented in their armor, which. Yeah, so Black Shard Armor, uh, so what it does is it allows you to ignore the first allocated wound uh, during each shooting and each combat phase that you that's allocated to a Chaos Dwarf unit uh, each turn. Which makes sense if they're the artisans of the armor and then they are the ones who create, you know, they, they are actually make the armor that a lot of Chaos Warriors wear in, you know, Chaos Warrior armies, I'm sorry, um, you know, whatever they're... The many names the Chaos Warriors go under these days, um, or Warriors of Chaos, is um, that that thick armor that you think of. They're almost the Space Marines of Age of Sigmar, Sigmarites aside. Um, that is made by these guys. And so it makes sense that their armor has that little extra something-something 
Um, and so yeah. that they can just walk off the first damage point of damage that gets through their armor uh, on a unit in any given turn, which is just awesome. Yeah, exactly. You've, you've got to, you've got to keep the uh, the primo material for yourself, of course. Yes, <laughs> I could. Well, it it does um, make sense because you know in the old rules it was like ah oh, heavy armor and you go ah oh, I've got heavy armor and no shield and eh. this is when I say my guys would charge in they would they wouldn't always succeed because they you know they look really heavily armored they're little tanks but then especially if you're using the Forge World models. But then the rules didn't always represent that. I think that the rules far more represent that now. And I, I really do think that they've done that across the board. Um, anyway, sorry. Um, Reese, we've sort of talked about a bunch of units here in some detail. But um, going off of your experiences uh, from the weekend, and I, I don't know if you necessarily have time or want to go through every game line by line, but what were some of the takeaways that you had as far as the units that you took? Were there things that you wish you had? Were there things that you wish you didn't have? Were there things that, I mean, you've sort of alluded to a couple of the units being the stars of the show, so to speak. Um, what were some things that you really enjoyed about the army? So, yeah, definitely with the army, the, the two biggest things that went for the army that went well were the Torx that I bought as the combat units and the Skullcracker. Uh, far and away, they just outperformed uh, all weekend, and I had so much fun playing them. And I added in the second one when I dropped the battalion down. Mm. Uh, and it originally was a, I like the Skullcracker, it was originally like, well, I haven't tried a second one of these in the list. I've been running the Torque for a while as a general, and he's done tons of work. But I don't know how a second one's going to go. It turns out it goes really well. If you just put down two or something, that's amazing. Uh, it just ends up being more amazing. Oh, nice. Uh, <laughs> Um, and yeah, and the Skullcracker, he outperformed. So uh, we'll get we'll get into the nitty gritty of each mm. round a bit. But basically, he rolled um, on average probably about uh, fifteen attacks per attack each weekend on forty six, which, as you can tell, is slightly above average. Mm. Um, the, he rolled twice under the the fourteen average. Uh, he rolled an eight and a seven. Uh, in two games, in two of the attacks that he made. But uh, to balance that out, he rolled a 19 and a 21 for the last two combats of game three. Ooh. Oh, yeah. Oh, that, uh, that That was a pretty deciding factor uh, on that game, and we'll go over that one in a moment. Yeah. Um, yeah, so, and what was the next question? Sorry, Brad. So, okay, so those are the things that you really loved. Um, what were some of the things that maybe you wish you didn't have? Um, you know, what were the underperformers? And do you think that was, you know, situational based on the missions and the people you were playing? Or were there things that you were playing? And I know you've been playing this for a while, but um, were there things that maybe with the new units in your list you just went, yeah, I really wish I didn't take that? Um, there was, well, this was what I was saying with the, with the army. I was actually really happy with everything that I put on the table. Mm. Um, if I did have to change, uh, there would be probably two things. And as much as I talked them up, I'm thinking maybe a third magma cannon might not have been the best option. Mm. But they, because they, they didn't perform that well over the weekend. Um, but I still, just having that option there with them, like they, they still did a ton of wounds. They still outperformed. Um, like, it's, so that's just sort of a maybe just only two would have been fine, but I think I was still even happy with just that third one. I think it still made his points back, and he still mm. sort of threatened a big board edge. And the Chaos Sorcerer Lord. I, so um, I only mentioned him. I mentioned him very briefly. At yeah, the start, you did. Yeah. 
Um, he just didn't really do that much for me. He has a he has two buffs: is spell buff and a um and a targeted um uh, armor reroll one buff. And those are those are fun. Those are nice. He's mm-hmm. he's a wizard on a horse as well, so he's a ten inch move and he can run around and take objectives, relocation orb, etc. Which we didn't play over the weekend. Mm. Um, uh, but uh, and he also he just adds another spell user that I can use to fling across the table. Like um, I actually just realized I never mentioned in the list I actually bought Geminids um, as well. I only I was going to ask no endless spells. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I only cast it once in the entire weekend. Completely. Uh, barely used it the rest of it and that's something else that i might have also have thought about maybe fixing around um had you had you considered shackles i mean given that it would tie well with so shackles you can slow things down um yeah if you could slow down people who are already slowed down by your demon smith spells or just slow other people down i mean again it, it fits that fluff had you considered that or is that something you've done in the past no, yeah, no, Shackles has always been something that, like, 20 points, put it on the list, right? see how it goes. Yeah. Um, but they're fairly short-ranged, and um, I'd have to have, like, the, they have a character, Drazoa the Ash, and he's the leader of the Legions of Asgore. Yeah. Uh, he's on a flying bull. He's only the real only mobile caster you have in the army. Um, and I'd have to be running him before I even thought about running Shackles. Um, okay. And, yeah, unfortunately, he's not in that list. At the moment, um, I have been running him. He's tons of fun. Um, he's one of the uh, weaker options in the book, but he's good value, and he does something else. Like you basically pay for the option to have something in your army that doesn't do anything else that's in the army, mm-hmm. uh, essentially. All right. Well, um, that kind of ties to my next question, which is: Was there something you wish you had? And it sounds like if you wanted to run shackles, he would have been sort of the linchpin for that. But let's let's go back. Was there anything that you um, were wishing that? I mean, you mentioned the sorcerer on Lord on horse, which is allied in. Um, were there other allied units that maybe you wouldn't mind sliding in in its place? I mean, or in place of a magma cannon? I mean, the chaos dwarf list is in and of itself pretty self-contained like it really does work by itself you don't really need other stuff and yet there's a massive list of it's all the chaos stuff that you can ally in um had you considered maybe a giant unit of marauders and a bloodstoker or something like that um it sounds like you brought in an extra spellcaster but is there something else that you may have considered bringing in well, actually, exactly what you just said is I have been thinking about putting in more Marauders into the list. So yeah. uh, just 20 guys, put them on a table, put them on, on an objective, because you have to pay quite a lot. Like, it's 100 points for 10 dudes in Chaos Dwarves. And when I can pay, uh, uh, I think it's 160 for 20 Yeah. Uh, for Marauders instead, uh, putting that in over the Sorcerer Lord, exact same points, and I could potentially be holding an extra objective uh, for that. Uh, it was definitely something. And same, the Bloodstoker or 20 Reavers uh, or 10 Reavers even. Mm-hmm. Uh, uh, just to sort of tie that whole... Um, like t- tie a flank together on its own with allies is definitely something I've thought about uh, going forward. Mm-hmm. Uh, but like you said, the army's so self-contained that I, I can get away with not putting in allies as much as other armies might need them uh, right. or, or might want to be able to play around with them because... They can they do everything they need to do uh, within the army itself. All right. Now, were there things that maybe underperformed on the weekend that you've used in the past that have worked out well, or um, had you sort of weeded things out that you didn't feel 
fit your play style. I mean, war machines aside, I mean, we, I mean, we kind of talked about that. I, I know in the past you've used different combinations of foot troops, and I know that you've oh. tried different combinations. And for example, you used um, the the bull centaurs, the regular ones, not just the characters. Um, what what sort of helped you focus in? What have you tried that you didn't like that sort of helped you focus in on this list for the weekend? Yeah, so the the renders, like you said, they were definitely something that I have tried in the past, and I'm not the biggest fan of. They good value, and they there is a list you can build that has nothing but bull centaurs in it, and it looks hilarious. Yeah, um, and Shator as well. The he he's just he's wonderful, but he's not the most uh, competitive model, as it were. Um, and but the things of units that didn't really didn't really perform over the weekend as well as they possibly could have probably be the Kadai. They did all right, but I've seen games where they've taken entire units off the table mm-hmm. for what they've done. Uh, and in this one, I was using them a lot more as a speed bump. Okay. Um, there was a, uh, there was just, there was a lot of options where they would be like the Wrathmongers, they punched themselves in the face. Um, there, there was a big, big block of plague drones in the second game that I had to just tie up really early on because six, you know, plague drones going wherever they want is with a lot of afflictions backing them up. Yeah, no, it's not fun. No. And, uh, the last game, uh, he had a cunning rock and he had big stabbers and he had all of the toys that bone splitters have and need. And they, they didn't make it past, uh, turn two. Yeek. Yeah, but they, they still managed, even then, they still managed to do some wounds onto his charging boar boys and sort of lock them up, uh, help protect my magma cans for a crucial extra turn. Mm. Um, and that's where they their, their speed is, well, if I can't get to him in time, I can at least block up his charge lanes with that fast movement they have. Totally. Um, and yeah, so they still did options, but I've seen them do a lot better. And I know they can, they just didn't do well this weekend. Now, I know that Rob Symes, for example, has talked about running giant units of 12 of them. Um, I haven't talked about it. I've seen the list. It's terrifying. Yeah, right? It's magical. It's yeah. <laughs> 12 Kadai in one unit. Oh, my goodness. Yeah. Well, even I don't own that many. Um, and I was looking at it going, God, that would be awesome to move around. But if you, I mean, one of the things that I had been thinking about using for that, that unit um, was literally what you're talking about, a mobile uh, speed hump, because you definitely, given that a lot of your units are so slow, um, just having that unit that's able to get up and get in people's faces and stop them from running through your lines, um, especially with maybe with those big alpha strikey type units or those fast strike units like the plague drones, for example, um, I think that that definitely, um, that just reconfirms with me what I would plan to do with them. Um, because they're great. Yeah, you can use them to get where you need to go to get those soft, squishy units in your opponent's list. But given how the Chaos Dwarves work, I would kind of want them to stop getting hit, stop the punch in the face, and then maybe inflict a punch somewhere else with something else, if that makes sense. Yeah, yeah, no, 100%. All right. Well, it's good to hear you that you were doing that. All right. Um, now, I kind of, we've sort of skirted around sort of what you liked, what you didn't like. Um, were there any... I know you want to talk about your games, and we're going to do that in just a second. But before we do that, while we're talking lists and items in the list, are there any sort of big stars that either you haven't talked about so far or things that you've played in the past and really, really enjoyed or really, really hated? Um, For people like me who maybe are Chaos Dwarf 
uh, curious and love them, um, but haven't just don't have the experience that you do. <laughs> um, yeah, so I mentioned them a couple times, but the special characters that um, are in the list, Shator and Drozoeth, mm-hmm. um, they are far and above. Um, they're wonderful models. They're beautiful models. Uh, their rules are okay. They're not the best. Shator, you're paying an extra 60 points more than a normal Torque for the same damage output, one more wound, and a really situational mortal wound dealing. And it just it doesn't really transcribe to the extra 60 points that he puts on the table. Um, and I've run him before, and it's just like, oh, okay, he, he's died, like, in one turn to 10 harpies. Okay, cool. Um, and... Draz, I've Draz has gone up and down for me. He's he is a uh, he is a wavelength in terms of his ability. Sometimes I put him on the table and he has rolled through entire units, and sometimes I put him on the table and he's stuck fighting five crops the entire game because um, he just can't hit them. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> uh, and those are definitely two units that I would when you're bringing them into the army. Uh, along with the renders as well, because they they the support there to really function and to really excel, because uh, they their forced hit is is horrible for them. They're da- they're rend one damage two, so they can deliver that damage. They get plus one to run and charge as well, so they're fairly mobile. But they do need the support there behind them to really excel. Mm. Um, so those are definitely the three units that I would think about when you're going to put them into the list. They're not necessarily bad. They're just weaker compared to what is already there and available. Right on. Well, one last question before we get into the games. If you were a starting out Chaos Dwarf player, because you were there this year, um, as far as Age of Sigmar 2nd Edition goes, um, what are some do's and don'ts that you would recommend? I mean, there's no real hard and fast rule for listing in Age of Sigmar 2, or so I've been told repeatedly. Um, but what are some good guidelines if you are thinking about playing um, Legions of Asgard? Perfect. So with the, uh, the do's and don'ts of the army, I definitely would have to say that uh, invest in, in infantry because moving forward with the game itself, we're uh, definitely going into an objective-based game at the moment. So mm. having boots on ground can really help you bring forward and defend the objectives that you have and hold them. Uh, also, because Chaos Dwarfs, they function in all three phases. Uh, they, they can cast decent magic. Uh, they have decent shooting. They're pretty good in combat. Uh, you, what you want to do is really bring a list that can maximize either maximizing all three or really focusing on where you want to go into each of those phases. So in my list, I bought a mixed one that focused mainly uh, on debuffing the opponent with magic, and then it had uh, a bunch of mortal wounds in combat and in shooting, and then uh, a bunch of high damage in combat. And so those are how I was playing my three phases. Uh, and with ca- a new play- Chaos Dwarf player, definitely keep that in mind that you can play all three phases, mm-hmm. uh, but if you spread yourself too, th- too thin, uh, you may find yourself lacking in that that raw punch that you'll need mm. to get across the line. Because you are a slow army, uh, and outside from a couple of tricks, you are going to be probably deploying and uh, going second. 
so just make sure that when you're putting the army down on the table that you're not leaving yourself open to a turn one charge into your whole army right. or you're making sure that you can shoot your opponent if they give you the second turn uh, unless you're taking two like one or two battalions um, yeah and definitely definitely invest in war machines for this army yeah. they are fantastic models and they are fantastic on the table and I mean, there again, really does tie into the whole fluff of Chaos Dwarves. I mean, they really are, you know, I mean, if you think of the old Warriors of Chaos Army and the, you know, the the canon, um, what, who, who were the crew? Chaos Dwarves. I mean, that was the whole point. It, it was Chaos Dwarves have always been, you know, the siege engineers of Chaos. And so that it makes sense that that would be such an integral part of their list. Exactly, exactly, and that's just that's just the whole fluff part of it, and I, I love that that translates onto the table as well. Mm, totally, totally. All right, well, let's talk about Smorgan Con in some depth then. So, game one, talk us through. Perfect. Yeah. So, game one, I was playing the uh, the wonderful Pat Nevin. He's one of the Bendigo players. He's pretty uh, pretty really good player actually. Rather, uh, he's playing Blades of Corn. Mm-hmm. Uh, this list he bought was a, a really solid mortal uh, warriors of uh, chaos army basically, um, and he had a big block of ten Wrathmongers, a ton of uh, uh, two units of five Wrathmongers, a battalion that lets him do extra. Um, bonuses with his Wrathmongers, mm-hmm. um, some some Reavers, some Blood Warriors, and a bunch of uh, support characters. So we were playing in that game, we were playing uh, Three Places of Power. So mm-hmm. that's the one where you put uh, characters on one of three objectives mm-hmm. and uh, you accumulate points in a uh, in an exponential scale. So you get one point, then two points, then three points, then four, then five. Oh, that's right. Yeah, yeah. Um, so we went, we went into that one, uh, and my, my objective going into this when I saw the list was put two characters on the objectives and try not to die. <laughs> um, yep. It's, <laughs> it, was, it was a very... Um, it's a, it was a, a very... The, the, the deployment, we, we set it up. He out-deployed me because I have, like, 15 drops. Um, and uh, he put his Wrathmongers right big front and center he put his two units of five next to them put all his support heroes behind them and then he had karanak out on a flank ready to run for an objective and he had a blood stoker on the other one mm-hmm. so that was pretty standard um he gave gave me uh, uh gave me first turn and i just sort of cagely pushed everything up because my my whole point was i was going to go for two objectives leave one to him and then just hold those objectives as long as I can. Mm-hmm. Um, so what I did was um, I flew my Kadai up, not close enough that he could charge. Uh, there was a big block of terrain right in the middle of, of that, so I hid my Torque behind that. I put my other Torque into the left flank, and uh, opposite of Kar- as far away from Karanak as possible, which was on the exact opposite side of the table. Mm-hmm. And because um, obviously I could out deploy him, as, and that's exactly what I did. So uh, he's pushed everything up, getting ready for a uh, for a turn two charge, um, and he uh, 
uh, I, I went, yeah, so he pushed everything up for turn two charge. I hold the objectives. Uh, next turn, um, I sort of move my cannons around. I put my Kadai into his Wrathmongers, uh, his big block, and I just start uh, putting shooting and debuffing as much as I can into that unit while trying to deal with the rest of them. And uh, he gets to gets around the corner on turn two, uh, puts his Wrathmongers into the Skullcracker uh, and Torek. Uh, the other unit can't quite fit, so he doesn't push them through. Mm-hmm. And he puts the the Wrathmongers just start wailing on the Kadai. The Kadai lived through three combats, which was fantastic. Oh wow! Uh, yeah, yeah, it was it was against Wrathmongers. They're punching themselves in the face as well, and they just they stuck around a lot longer than I ever expected them to, which was amazing. And that really made me hold up that flank. Uh, that just that extra turn that I needed. So what ended up happening was uh, uh, he he pushed across and took all my toys out, but not before I had been holding the objectives uh, in the center and mm-hmm. in the flank uh, long enough that I was up to um, one, one, two, two, three. So I had eight points. He had none. Uh, because I'd been sniping at his hero slowly. Mm-hmm. So going into... He got the double turn, turn three. Uh, he took all my toys off, took my character off the objective, just enough that I managed to keep a magma cannon. So what his plan was, he put some blood warriors into my torque with the intention of piling around into the magma cannon uh, with the those said blood warriors, because once they kill him, because they charge, they could pile down towards the magma cannon, which was the next closest model. They couldn't do that, so obviously my torque was closer. He couldn't get my magma cannon to combat. Let me shoot uh, Karanak off the table. Um, so that was a, a big loss to him because my Torque, he rolled seven out of nine five plus ward saves with one win. Oh. He had no right to live, which means he had to kill them with the Blood Warriors, uh, which he did. And um, But it let me keep that magma cannon open. Yeah. Um, yeah. Additionally, he uh, couldn't get my other Torque off the uh, other objective because of his... Uh, his Bloodstoker got locked up by the last two dwarfs that were alive, so he wasn't able to pile around, get his two-inch reach over, and just murder my Torek. Mm-hmm. So he stepped up and one-shot his dude with a big flailing hammer, uh, which meant that he had one character left. He could summon a Bloodthirst and potentially take two objectives that turn. Uh, he gets 1-1, one, one, two, 2 points um, in turn 4 and 5, and he wouldn't have been able to catch up. Right. Uh, so we called it at turn three with 10 minutes left in the round. Um, and yeah, he, he's good. Like pa- Patrick's good. Uh, he's good value. He gets, he, he gets, he gets a bit salty in games and people have that ad in other podcasts. Uh, I've, I don't mind the guy. I think he's good value. Mm-hmm. Uh, and like we've all been there. We've all seen bad dice rolls and he was having bad dice. My dice rolls were on fire, which was the entire week. Actually, I was rolling like a bad man. Mm-hmm. Uh, and uh, we sat down and sort of went, yeah, no, I, I rolled like BS, but I still think um, even then it was enough. And he sort of went, yeah, you know, it, it could have been better for him, but... Uh, yeah, I'm, bad dice happen, though. I mean, yeah. and it sounds like your dice, I mean, especially with that Turok with all of its saves, should not have made that. But, you know, that's one of the things about dice games. Dice happen, and sometimes you know, and that's part of wargaming. If it if the dice do something wacky, you know, it gives us something that we can tell stories about later. And you know, sure, it doesn't always happen our way, but uh, 
you know, when it does, you you can rejoice. And when it doesn't, you can go, oh, well, next time. Um, they do, you know, swings and roundabouts. Um, I do. It does sound like your Turoks were really integral for that game, though, being able to reach out and get to those objectives quickly. Um, and it sounds like the maybe the base size of the Iron Cracker, you're able to, sorry, the Skull Cracker, you're able to um, hold up some of the Wrathmongers um, and also with the larger-based Kadai um, so that they couldn't get through, so you were able to do what you needed to do. Yeah, exactly. So it gave me that crucial extra turn, same with the Kadai, that extra turn I needed to hold that middle objective. Mm-hmm. Um, and even though this Skull I had to feed in the Skullcracker for his secondary objective, which I'm like, well, I can't stop it. I might as well use it. And right. That's exactly- yeah, yeah, exactly. Well, right on. Well, that sounds like you had a, a good first game. Let's go on to the second one. What happened there? Yeah, so second game I was playing uh, Jared Coots. He's a Geelong Age of Sigma player, newer bloke. He's been in the, he's been in the game since about second edition. Mm-hmm. Uh, so uh, he's been really enjoying the game. He bought a, uh, a, a Nurgle Soup Maggotkin list. Um, okay, had- <laughs> what do you mean by that for those of us who are not speaking the meta terms? Yeah, I was, just, I was just about to go over that, don't worry. Okay. Uh, so he's playing uh, Maggotkin of Nurgle, uh, uh, de- n- the Nurgle Allegiance army, and the soup army means he's choosing uh, options from each of the three main factions of Nurgle, which gotcha. is uh, mortals, demons, and uh, rotbringers. So rotbringers are the... They're the, they're the the Blight Kings and the Lords of Affliction, etc. So he had a great and clean one. He had six Plague Drones. He had a Lord of Affliction. He had 20 Skaven. He had 40 Marauders. Wow, um, he really did have a little bit of everything, didn't he? Yeah, yeah, exactly it. And uh, it's just like and everything he did, just it, 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 uh, it was fun to watch on the table what they did uh, and how they interacted with the army. So uh, with the, this game was uh, Border War. Mm-hmm. So two objectives in each player's deployment zone in the middle and then two on the territories. And um, the secondary objectives we chose was he went for Retribution and I went for uh, Slay the Behemoth. Mm-hmm. So I had to kill his Great Unclean one and he had to kill one of my units the same turn one of his died. Um, now the Great Unclean so- one, hold on, the Great Unclean one has a reputation for being... Fairly durable. I mean, it's got a lot of wounds. It's a giant model. Um, it regenerates. Why did you choose that as your secondary? It sounds like that might be maybe not the easiest to score, or is it because you have the three magma cannons plus other things to just throw out the mortal wounds? Well, that's exactly it. So I, I thought the mortal wounds would be fine, then sort of soften him up and then send the Kadai in because he's only got a four. He's got a. Uh, five plus or four plus save and five plus ward save. Okay. So if he's got a couple of wounds on him and he's 16 base, uh, if I could throw him down in the turn. Uh, but we'll get to we'll get to how okay. how that actually happens. Sorry, <laughs> we'll get to what that, actually yeah. happened with that. Go no, 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 no. There's a there's a funny story there. J- Jared again, he's an amazing opponent. All three were fantastic players. Perfect. Yeah. So. Uh, yeah, so we, we set up and deploy everything. He puts everything ready to go into the objectives, and he takes first turn. Uh, I chatted over this with him uh, after the game, and I sort of think that uh, he should have given me the first turn just because of how it played out. Mm. But he's put his plague drones over onto the one objective. He's put 20 marauders onto the other objective. Uh, and unfortunately, he what he's done is he's put six plague drones opposite two Torx and my Kadai. 
Uh, so my turn, and these so the 20 Marauders were opposite my Skullcracker, which is how I set them up. Uh, so I put my Skullcracker across the table um, into his 20 Marauders. I put both Torox and my Kadai into his uh, Plague Drones, and Plague Drones are ridiculously resilient, uh, and I took them off in a turn. Uh, it, yeah, it was. But my one torque went in. He hit it with all. He wounded with all. Rend two, ignored the rend. Fifteen damage. Take your resilient armor saves. And then the next one hit four times, wounded for three times. And then the Kadai swung. So it was. Um, so I, I took him off both objectives first turn, um, and scored back. So we're equal points. Uh, he's he. Get. I've also put some mortal wounds across the table. I've taken his marauder unit down to. Um, from 20 to 3. So, yes, start pushing up with these Plague Monks and his Great Unclear One. They have to start wrapping around. His Lord of Affliction starts getting ready to go into combat as well. Um, we get uh, halfway through his turn. Uh, he realised he hasn't bought on... Um, he hasn't bought on his uh, Black Kings. Uh, so, he had, yeah, he, he, he had the character that lets you outflank with a unit of Light Kings. He had five Light Kings sitting there. We're halfway through the second turn. All these things have played out. And he's like, oh, this is actually a must. I have to bring them on first turn. And I just said to him, I said, hey, man, no, go ahead. That's fine. Mm -hmm. um, and massive props to him. Uh, he's like, no, I've forgotten it. Uh, it's far too late to do that to you. Uh, and I'm like, no, man, no, man, it's fine. It's fine. It's fine. It's like 500 points. Like, bring it on the table. Or uh, like 300 points, sorry. Um, and he's like, no, nah, listen, I'm not going to learn if I take it back now. I'm going to count them as dead. And so, you know, massive, huge, if we had best sports, that would instantly just tick that box for me straight there because it's like he's played it out. He hasn't even tried to ask if he can bring them on now. He hasn't done that. I volunteered. I'm like, man, do it. Like, you know, yeah. it's I, I want this to be a good game. You right. know, not, not in, you know, I want this to be back and forth and I, I i deployed expecting them mm -hmm. and i'd uh i'd i'd been ready for them so it's sort of that um you know it's it's not down to the fact that like it's gonna suddenly change too much but still that them not being on the table would have is very much affected him adversely and i don't want that because i want him to be able to roll dice and have fun uh, but no he's yeah he stepped up to, and he just said no nah, i'm i'm not bringing them on man like you know it's it's my mistake i'm not gonna learn for cancon otherwise right so yeah so that that was unfortunate to him and uh if we'd realized sooner we could have definitely done it something different uh but yeah so he's put his lord of affliction into the uh into the kadai and he's uh he has bought the plague monks up for next turn charge into the skullcracker um, so the Lord of Afflictions killed a couple of Kadai. The Plague Monks weren't able to get the charge on the Skullcracker. Mm -hmm. He got the double turn though. So uh, he bought his he bought his Grand Unclean one further up the table. He um, ran the last three more orders back onto his main objective, and he's just getting ready for a next turn just to start summoning things mm -hmm. and start taking objectives. Start you know taking objectives. Plague monks they went into the skullcracker. Now they have a rule where they they're rerolling to hit and to wound and all this. They got like a million attacks. Yeah. All 20, like eighteen out of twenty got into combat. They did a bajillion wounds to the skullcracker. He like he he passed um um like he took like six or seven wounds from them. 
Um, and he's down to like two wounds or three wounds at this point. Mm. So I'm like, you know what? 46 damage. Let's do this. Roll the dice. Um, he gets like 14, 15 attacks. Uh, he just goes to town with the hammers. He goes to town with the crushing bolt. Um, and each time the plague monks die, they deal a mortal wound back on a six. Um, and so the plague monks, they exploded. Uh, they Boom. killed the skull. They dropped it, knocked the skull tracker down to one wound. Uh, and then he promptly exploded himself with the uh, by pumping steam because mm. uh, <laughs> he rolled 15 attacks. I mean, that's obviously over 12. Yeah. Uh, so after Battleshock, which was hilarious, so we rolled this. So it was carnage on both sides, and he rolled his Battleshock. He got like a two. Everything else ran except one plague. One plague <laughs> was left standing on the objective. We just had this joke of just this tank. All these plague ronks have swarmed into this tank, and they're all just fighting in it. The tank explodes, and then like out of the rubble, like this one poor plague monk, like deaf in one ear, crawls out of the rubble. <laughs> Stumbling, the rubble, yeah. The rubble to hold onto the flag. Yeah. <laughs> uh, I got it. Was it. All... I got it. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> the rest of his mates, they've all scarfed from back. It'll shock. He's just standing there going, "What? A... Do I win?" <laughs> yeah. Exactly. Uh, and yeah, um, yeah, the um, the Lord of Afflictions. Um, uh, my next turn, I I took him off the table with uh, magma cannons because I just he had two wounds, three wounds left. I just put a magma cannon straight into him and he died. Um, so what that did was open up the charge lane where I could put both my Torx and Kadai into his Grand and Clean one. Mm -hmm. um, and I did. Uh, he's on full wounds. Uh, my first Torx swings. He did the exact same thing he did to the plague monks, plague drones. Hit five times, wound five times, 15 wounds through. Oh, my uh, he God. Saved, he saved one. He, he saved one wound. Yeah. Uh, uh, he's down to two wounds from one swing. And then he's running a support, great and clean one. So he swings back, does absolutely nothing, and the Kadai take him off the table. Um, yeah, it, it was ridiculous. It was just one turn, just, oh, okay, I've killed a great and clean one. That was terrifically unexpected. Um, and so, yeah, he's left with three Marauders sitting on an objective. Um, I score that objective because I have six Kadai right next to it. Um, so there, there's no way he can really come back from here. Uh, we we sort of tally up how the next couple of turns would have gone with his contagion points and summoning. He might, he'd been able to get that last objective over the other side. I had a Demon Smith running for it. He might have been able to fight the Plague Bearers off maybe, but we're like, no, you get those points for that one for secondaries. And I basically hold the other three and get like 15. Nice. Uh, it was, yeah, it was a great game. He was a great opponent. And uh, it's just unfortunate. He wasn't fully aware of what the army could damage and uh, deployed too aggressively for that. And the whole army just capitalized on it. And um, yeah, that, that, that was the game. And, yeah, I mean, that's interesting. I, I guess that is one of the things that plays into the strengths of the cast orbs, though, I mean, prolific uh, podcasters, for example, Rob Sines, um, plays cast orbs and talks yeah. about cast orbs and, you know, live streams cast orbs. And, you know, there's a lot of other people who, like Ben Curry, who, of course, play cast orbs. And then, you know, there's an, a vibrant community for that army if you go on Facebook or um, the... The, the chatting software that I'm too old to remember the name of WhatsApp. Um, if, if you have those kind of communities that you will see the players, you know, inspiring each other and putting their armies out and having a good time playing the army, but it's still in each army. So 
you know, a lot of players just won't know what it does. Um, and that really does, you know, not, oh, not to be yeah. like a sneaky gotcha, but um, it's a fairly straightforward army in and of itself. But if you are playing a game and you don't necessarily know what everything does, and even if your opponent's explaining it to you, your eyes start to glaze over after a while. So you need, you know, you just don't know which matchups work. And if that might, that might throw out, and it sounds like in the case of this game, that might throw out his game plan. Yeah, and that's exactly it. Is I I I hate gotcha moments. I think that if right. you're gonna play an an against an army, you need to know what it does so you can both be on an equal playing field. So I always right. go down to my opponent. I'm like, I read out what it does. If they don't know Chaos Dwarfs, I tell them what each unit does. I break it down. But like you said, like a bit of list fatigue. You know, it's mm-hmm. uh, you sort of like, oh yeah, you know, oh damage three. Yep, yep, nodding, and then sort of like. Uh, and then when it's on the table, uh, and he he summed it up perfectly as well. Jared summed it up amazingly. He's basically like, there's a difference between knowing and understanding. Right. Uh, like he said, he knew the Kadai, he knew Taurus were really good, uh, but he didn't understand that until they've taken off half his army by turn two yeah. on their. You know, it's and that that's exactly it. And pro- props to him. Like he was he was a delight to play start to finish. I would, um, got chatting to him as well because he's only down in Geelong. Going to organise some extra games, get nice. some stuff in, and really just uh, step up there. Because I've been meaning to head down to the Geelong scene for ages and check it out. And it sounds like they've got a really good, vibrant community down there that doesn't take themselves too seriously. And that's exactly what I'm about uh, these days in Age of Sigma. So <laughs> yeah, totally. that's that's exactly it, isn't it? It is. It absolutely is. It's having fun and having a good time with stuff. Um, now, I just spent an entire episode talking about how much I hate uh, gotcha moments and hey, you know, and, and like to have fun and how that's important for both people playing the game, both you and your opponent, and how you can facilitate that. That's last episode, guys. So if you want to hear more about my feelings on that, please tune in. Um, Jermaine and I have a lovely talk about that in gaming in general and specifically about Age of Sigmar. So if you'd like to hear that, please listen to episode before this. Uh, but let's let's go to game three because you are now on the top table. You are now, it's now that uncommon combination on the top three of Chaos Dwarves and Bone Splitters. You know, green skins versus naughty dwarves. Um, which, you know, I don't think anyone would have picked going into the event that that would have been the top table given that this was what a 26 player event um and there were you know a wide swath of armies from across the meta so um talk to us a little bit about um your third game yeah man yeah so um yeah like you said going into game three there was uh i think there was four players still left on x and o so uh two wins Mm -hmm. um uh death uh uh, there was a couple of death players, um, and myself and Peter Atkinson, who I was playing. He's a one of the uh, Bendigo boys, mm-hmm, or he's mm-hmm. he's sort of like in that that general region. I guess I think he plays with Measured a lot, uh, Measured Gaming, mm-hmm. and um, uh, again he's top value. I've 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 seen him on the um, the bloggersphere a few times, uh, just, uh, and. Yeah, he just he just seems like good value. And now we got that chatting, and uh, I was up against Bone Splitters versus Chaos Dwarfs. Like you said, very uncommon top table. Um, his list was really interesting. So it's a it's a cunning ruck army. So mm-hmm. uh, what that is uh, now, essentially, what it does is you have to take a couple of units that you probably want to take anyway with the army, um, and it allows you to get a extra move, shoot, or charge in your hero phase. 
with anything that's in the battalion. Now, in the battalion, he's taken a big, gigantic block of arrow boys, um, and he's also got a savage orc big boss who can give units plus one attack on all their weapon profiles until the end of the turn. Nice. Uh, so the way that this plays out is he runs a couple of wizards. Uh, he ran a couple of wizards. He ran Zarbag, the the Shadespire Grot. Uh, oh, cool, six, yeah. Yeah, yeah, it was, it was funny. He used him as a, like a charge blocker because of the Fnatic. Mm-hmm. Um, and that's actually, well, that that was huge. And I, I love that it's in the army and it actually, um, it not so much caught me up, uh, but it was, it definitely factored in uh, strongly into how I deployed and... So do you get to put just him as in the character that leads the Shadespire warband into the army or do you take his whole warband? So when you take him, you take his warband. But his warband is worth zero. You can only take it when Zarbag's on the table. Ah, Um, okay. And uh, he's 160 points for a crot wizard. So you, you really do pay for like six goblins mm-hmm. on top of him on that price, along with the Fnatic. But um, you take him, you get a free unit of seven grots. So yeah, it's it's just sort of like it's it's slightly a little interestingly how they do it. And but I think it's it's fun times. It is, and he gives you an extra spell that you can't get otherwise. And of course, everyone has. There's all those little special rules. So it's your way of taking that Shadespire warband that you love to play in Shadespire so much and putting it on the tabletop in Age of Sigmar, which is cool. Exactly. Um, yeah, and rounding out his list, he had six big stabbers in one unit and ten ball boys in one unit. Whoa. So we were playing knife to the heart. Mm-hmm. So we have two big castling armies. He's put thirty or thirty arrow boys and um, ten orc orc boys on the uh, objective with a hand of gork wizard right up the back of the table near the objective as well. Mm-hmm. His other two wizards were ready to buff up his units, and he uh, he's. Uh, 10 boar boys were getting ready to be handed gorked across the table 18 inches and charge into my army. So uh, the way I deployed was I put every I put all 40 of my foot dwarves on the objective and just sat them in terrain and just like never moved them. They they were like it was uh, one piece was deadly the other one was damned. So I was like well they're not going to move anyway. Might as well just put them here and just shoot the guns out of the forest as much as I can. Um, nice. Uh, uh, and uh, I deployed uh, basically everything else onto one flank mm-hmm. uh, opposite where his big block was um, so I could really push forward on that flank if I needed or if not just play for the draw and uh, or and then we'll see how we go on kill points basically so how did it play out? Yeah, so he gave me first turn mm-hmm. uh, because I was out of I was slightly out of position for first turn but I'm like well I've at least maintained that I can do something this turn. So I, I moved everything up. I didn't just push it up as hard as I could because I knew that going forward, I was just going to get swarmed and die. Mm-hmm. Uh, or And I also wanted to be able to support my army if he sent the boar boys straight into my line along with the big stabbers. Mm-hmm. Um, so I mo- moved everything up to a sort of a central location, got my secondary, which was plant the flag. Um, I chose one of the... Uh, one of the terrain pieces within his territory. Uh, and if I get five wounds of worth of models uh, within uh, three inches of it, uh, by the end of a battle round, I get my secondary. Mm-hmm. And his secondary was Retributive Strike. So every single person chose Retributive Strike against my army. It's almost like chorps are really, really easy to kill or something. 
Um, so yeah, so I moved everything up. He uh, put a bunch of buffs on, and this is where I really got to see what the army could do. Uh, so he put all the buffs onto the arrow boys. He's given them plus two extra attacks, so they've got four attacks per shot, hitting on... Uh, without Ashton, they would have been hitting on fours, but they are hitting on fives, and every six he rolls, he gets to make uh, two extra attacks. Ooh. Uh, and he's re-rolling ones to hit, and he's re-rolling all wounds. Okay, um, so there's a lot of things to change the odds in there. I'm just trying to do the math in my head. So not a 50-50-ish? Because um, the draw goes to a five, and then the re-rolling ones. Okay, less than that, but yeah, okay. So oh, yeah, but the, the, the exploding sixes are the big thing, and that exploding sixes would have been exploding fives if he didn't have Ashton on them. Oh, wow, okay. So, yeah, that is significant yeah. then. Yeah, so he um he put all of the shots into the Kadai, mm-hmm. um, and... Uh, I think he. I think he rolled. Uh, I want to say fifteen, sixteen sixes. So he got an extra. Jesus. Uh, those each added two extra attacks as well. So he's, he rolled ninety dice with the unit. So with thirty. Okay, with three, that makes sense. It, yeah. Yeah. Um, and it, it was by the end of it, I had three Kadai left. Uh, he's handed Gork the orc boy, the boar boys, right across the table. He's put them into uh, a magma cannon and into uh, the Kadai. Uh, they flubbed their attacks on the Kadai, which was, uh, I think they only did like one wound, but the magma cannon, they did like three or four to. Mm. Um, and they, more importantly, they locked the magma cannon up. Uh, um, so he sort of, he's put that on that pressure on the rest of his army. He's just sort of sat back a bit, sort of seeing where I'm going with things. Uh, so I win, I win initiative. Uh, I put my Torx up to go into combat. Um, and I put another one up ready to go past his, uh, to charge his arrow boys directly. And the other one was going to put into the 10 man screening unit with the Skullcracker and hopefully wrap one of those around into his um, big unit. So I can start taking them off the table before mm. they do this. Um, uh, at this point, he releases the Fnatic he puts it down within one inch of his unit, and he then sends it across on an uh, eight-inch charge. Very easily makes it, um, and blocks up my torque from getting to his arrow boys. So I'm like, well, I've got to do something. What do I do? Oh, that's frustrating. Uh, yeah. Yeah. It's oh well, that's fine. I he flat murders the fanatic. Which I'm yeah. Like, yes. Take that. Um, <laughs> yeah. And uh, what I do is I charge with the torque. I put him up on. Uh, I have to get an extra like I'd get like a ten on the charge. I got an. Uh, uh, to get where I needed to go. But what I essentially did was I put him up on a wall uh, and then ran him across so I could threaten the arrow, the arrow boys. Um, and not draw them in. I drew them into combat, so that was within the three inches. Uh, but uh, I wasn't able to attack them because I've only got a two-inch range. Um. Um, so my Skullcracker went in. He rolled an eight on the uh, the damage uh, for the things, and the Torque fluffed all his attacks. So he's got like four or five screening guys left. But it's enough that I can... I can get across the line to his next unit. Um, So his turn, he moves everything up. um, He shifts everything around. Um, Not much really happens that turn. His arrow boys, uh, they shoot everything into our torque and do like one wound because he doesn't have any of the buffs off. I dispelled all these spells and... um, Yeah, so it was very much neutered after that one first attack. Um... I take the rest of the screening boys off, and then uh, he gets the double turn going into turn four. Mm-hmm. Um, 
so he uh, handed Gorks the big stabbers, uh, rolls the triple, uh, rolls the double, so he gets triple movement on them. So Oof. they fly 15 inches across the table. Sure. Uh, from uh, over on his flank, he flies them and puts them right next to my uh, my torque that's out in the open and my magma cannon. Yeah, that hurts. Uh, yeah, it was it was pretty pretty vicious. Um, he uh, Zabags gets to just stand there doing nothing else, and the um and yeah, so he he takes both of those off the table very neatly, um, and he locks up the next magma cannon as well. Um, then what I do was with these last screening guys, I managed what I I piled in. With combat for my torque and my skullcracker, so I piled in past the screening unit uh, to attack his big boys, and this is where the skullcracker went ballistic. Um, so he, I rolled my forty-six for the skullcracker, mm-hmm. and he rolled nineteen attacks. <laughs> yeah, uh, he hit with like fifteen of them. He wounded with like ten. Um, he passed a bunch of saves because they ignore the rend of the skullcracker because of. Uh, bone splitter rules mm-hmm. um, and uh, I kill a bunch of arrow boys um, during his turn mm-hmm. then going into my turn um, I don't have much left I start shooting at the big, the big stabbers it's, yeah, I mean, it's turn 4 we're not going to make turn 5 because of time um, so we're like right we've got to do kill points um, this is sort of what we've got to do mm-hmm. so he's up at the moment he's killed Two magma cannons. I'm like, I'm happy to give them to him um, to count four victory points for the game. And we're like, we agree on that. Nothing else is going to die in turn five anyway. Um, you know, he could put it into one of my chorf units. Sure, maybe. But it just, it, there's like three big stabbers left because I've been I've been magma canning them like every turn. Mm-hmm. Um, and then, uh, the, the, so he's up on points. His wizard had exploded its head earlier in the game trying to um, stare my Torok off the table. It was hilarious. He was, we, we, he sort of sat down and was like, um, after, oh, I shouldn't have done that. I'm like, yeah, but you were dealing mortal wounds to my Torok. <laughs> Why yeah. wouldn't you? Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Like, he did three mortal wounds to it. It was ridiculous. It was uh, like with just one stare alone. And, um, yeah, unfortunately, he blew his head up on the third stair, uh, which wasn't enough to kill him, so that's why he had to put the ball boys over. The, mm-hmm. um, so the big stabbers over. Um, but yeah, so he was up on points. The only point I could really get is I could potentially kill Zarbag's gits um, or his, um, his screening unit, and if I get really lucky, maybe his arrow boys. Um, there was like 15 of them left still. So about 32 wounds left. Mm. Um so Zarbag's gets I completely missed with everything I could, so I'm like, well, that's not an option. The screening unit, I can kill. Get to combat, I'm like, right, I'll activate the Skullcracker first, roll dice. Uh, I roll 21 attacks. Yeah, that'll do it. <laughs> yeah. I hit with 18 attacks. Ooh. I wound, on, by the way, on four pluses at this point because of all the mortal wounds he's taken. Of course, yeah. Uh, so so I've, I've hit with 19, uh, was it 19 attacks, did I say? Mm-hmm. Yeah, I wound with 17 wounds. What? Four plus. Mate, I got to borrow your dice. 
apparently I was just saying that it's just like it was it was uh Pete was saying like man you're rolling so many goddamn sixes I'm like you want to borrow my dice you need the sixes more than me for your armor saves yeah and well it's like he was rolling well too he was he was rolling really good like he yeah. he, he picked up he, he, but he had weight of dice behind it um that's true whereas mine was just really dumb spiking Mm-hmm. Um, so at least his was sort of like, well, you know, you're rolling enough dice that eventually luck is going to happen. Whereas mine was like, I get a random one of 19 and then 21 back to back. Like I, I literally said 19 was my personal best before it was 18. And mm-hmm. then I break my personal best on the literally the next round. Um, and, uh, yeah, so we, uh, so the Skullcracker deletes that unit. Yeah. He passed one armor save. I roll... 32 wounds off the D3s. And he's like, yep, that's the unit. Good game. And it's like, that was... I I beat and equalized him by then some. I, I end up being 200 points up on kill points, so I get a minor win. Uh, I got my secondary from the from the first turn. Um, he got his secondary because he murdered my Torok the same turn that I his wizard blew up. Um, and... Yeah, and we, we called it there, and just like we can't play turn five, this is what would have happened anyway. You killed both my magma cannons, I gave him the points for that, and it still wasn't enough. Uh, so yeah, and that was the uh, that was the tournament. So I guess I got a question. So um, you mentioned, and I've heard this in a lot of Age of Sigmar podcasts, and it seems to be an elephant in the room that no one really talks about, and yet everyone acknowledges that in a tournament setting, it's it seems to be fairly rare unless games are really long. And even then, they don't tend to. People don't finish their games. Um, and that that seems to really disadvantage certain armies. Um, and is that is that just an outsider's perspective? Or is that actually... Is, is there merit to what I'm saying? I... So... The thing with that is I'm not too sure. I Because I've, I've had games that have gone to time. Obviously, my game with Patrick and my game with, with Peter both went to time. Mm-hmm. Um, but, like, we both made it to turn four both times at least. Uh, and turn fives weren't going to be that long, even if we did play them out. But right. just not enough that we could finish them before the round ended. Now, um, Age of Sigmar is a five-turn game, not a six-turn game, right? It is a five-turn game. Yeah, for the, for right. I think for a lot of those reasons as well. I think a lot of the uh, the game is decided in the first three turns, and the rest of it's just cleaning up and objective holding. Okay. Um, so, And that's a lot of what we saw in that game there. Is like If we'd gone to turn five, it would have been the big stabbers killing both my magma cannons. It would have been... Uh, his wizards running the heck away from my Skullcracker, and that would have been game, game five, the turn five. Got it. But um, same with Patrick, he would have summoned a Bloodthirster, he would have, uh, on an objective, he would have tabled the rest of my army and scored his points. Um, so I think there's like a, I think there's a bit of a back and forth with that sort of thing, especially with uh, armies that focus a lot on uh, on movement shenanigans, or if they're multi-phase, they definitely you definitely need to play faster. Mm-hmm. Uh, and but I think the speed at what we're at at the moment is fine. If we could add 15 minutes onto the round, so I, I worked out with my mate. Basically, in a two and a half hour setting with five turns, uh, you have 15 minutes per round for your round. Yeah. Um, but that's not taking into account setup, deployment, going over lists, and even so, just talking. Yeah. And just yeah, just 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 Chat. you know, 
uh, you know, shooting pool and having you know, having a yarn, it exactly. can slow the game down as well. Um, I think if if we could add 15 minutes onto each round, uh, somehow if there's a way to squeeze that into tournament settings, that would be fantastic. Two minute, two hour, 45 minute rounds would be amazing. Mm-hmm. I think we'd see a lot of those games that were previously going to only to turn four or to time, and then you were theory crafting it out from there. Yeah, uh, I think we'd see a lot more games finishing that way, but. I think like uh, like the, the the setting for two and a half hours. It's all been established by the the New Zealander guys, the Canberra guys. They've all done a great work in setting up what the meta is, mm-hmm. and uh, like U, UK US, same thing. You know, they're they're setting up that that sort of standardized tournament system, timing, and that sort of thing. Um, and I, I I think what they've done is uh, is they've done a really good effort in working out where the 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 middle point is. Sweet point, yeah. Um, yeah, and. Um, and especially the biggest thing as well is because we have so many horde armies out there. Uh, that's definitely slowing a lot of the games down. Mm-hmm. But people are people are mitigating that. You know, they're bringing movement traits to the game again. Mm-hmm. You know, they're um, they're um, they're moving units in clumps. They're rolling batch dice. Like Peter had a bag. He had a, he had a ziploc with ninety dice in them, and. Uh, he's just like, there's 90 dice in here. We can count them out if you want. Yeah. And um, I said, no, that's no. fine. I completely believe you, man. Yeah, totally. Uh, so, like, yeah, like we picked up, rolled the dice. The numbers, you know, he didn't he didn't roll above average. So uh, he didn't, like, it was very obvious there were 90 dice there, like even from a very cursory count when we were going through the dice. Mm-hmm. Um, and he was taking dice out of the bag as models were dying. So we could keep track of both how many bottles had died and how much dice he had left. That's so, cool. yeah, exactly. And like I, when we got past twenty uh, models, he takes out this handful of dice because uh, they lose one attack once they're past twenty models or something. Oh, of course, yeah. Yeah, so he just like he's like, oh yeah, no, this goes. So now they're like thirty shots or something. Mm-hmm. Was, um, and yeah, no, and uh, I think that that's the thing, like. Uh, uh, a lot of people are trying to mitigate that time loss that's in the game, but being it's not exactly the most... It's not a new scene, but it's a very much still a growing one. The community is still building a lot, and yeah. a lot of the people coming in are still newer players or returning players, and they're still just trying to catch up a little bit on the rules and the objectives and what they need to do and how to pile in. and that, That'll come with time where people will be able to go bang, 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 game's yeah. done in an hour. Yeah, and I mean, how many new players are coming into Age of Sigmar at the moment as well? And I know that I'm not saying that people who are going to SmorganCon were necessarily new players, but I know I spoke to at least two people when I was there for a couple minutes who were new players. Um, And that will slow things down. Now, even if you aren't playing against those people, they are still part of the pool whose time is being used for the event. Yeah, I understand. I mean, maybe for... I know when other game systems have shifted. It's, it's important to give a little extra time and rounds, but for a one day event, there's only so many minutes you can squeeze in in a day. Um, and I know the venue, for example, having run events there on a Sunday, there is a limited time frame in which one can run them. So it sounds like, um, Smorgan from having spoken to you and other people really did an excellent job of squeezing out as many minutes as possible and keeping to um, the time frame just to make sure that it ran smoothly and it ran well. And I don't think, I mean, that was just my question. I don't necessarily think it's a big deal because, as you said, 
everyone mentions that, oh, yeah, yeah, we got through this many turns or this happened or we ran out of time, but no one's complaining. I think it's, I think the, the results of the game are typically there. Um, it's just a matter of maybe if it was really close, it might matter, but that often isn't the case. Um, depending on how things are going. Um, but yeah, as the scene matures, um, rounds might get to be shorter um, as the collective um, gets faster, I guess. So, yeah. Hmm. Yeah, exactly. And that's that's the uh, that's the, the real big part of all of that sort of thing. It's just the, the growth there. And it might stay the same, even if it does. Uh, and also, just whilst we are on the subject, a mm-hmm. massive shout out to Sam Morgan. For yes, I was going to say. I was like, this was his first tournament as a TO, um, and as far, as far as I'm aware, unless he's run it in other systems. Um, but like, he did a, he did an outstanding job. Everything was run really great. The guys at Good Games Melbourne, they were doing the tournament bracketing and the systems. They were inputting data entry. Uh, it's just uh, there was we had little swag bags we had with printouts and everything like that. It was just uh, and um, 3D printed. Um, uh, what are they? Gauge measuring the the one, two, three inch um, mm-hmm. uh, things, um, uh, like mini rulers, and uh, like it was just it was a good time and it was a good event and I like it was wonderfully presented because it was a it was a minimum painted army um, event, so everyone that showed up at the event had at least three colors and most of the armies had a lot more than that. Yeah, there was some fantastic. Like, did you get so good? Actually, yeah. you you were there in the morning. Mm-hmm. Did you get a chance to see that free guild army there? No, I didn't. Um, I saw about half the armies, but then I was looking at pictures of Facebook later. Just the yeah, the quality and if if the quality for that event with twenty six players, and I know those are CanCon armies being built for CanCon, but if that's yeah. the kind of numbers of you know percentage of highly pa- uh, highly skilled or I don't know highly high t- high tier painted armies is what I'm trying to say. If that's the percentage in Melbourne to 26 players, one can only imagine what the big show, you know, 2220 oh, players. I, I can't wait. Like Roy Dupros, I've seen some of his armies online. Like it looks phenomenal. And yeah, here's the thing, like Danny Carroll, like big shout out to his free guild army. He had free hand on like half his army. It was spectacular. Like he, he's, he's, um, if you get a chance to see it, it's the free good army with the the tiled paved cobbled stone um, floor, mm. and the he has uh, square MDF trays with circle insets uh, for them, and he's done them awesome. up as cobblestones as well, and all the units slot in to match to what the movement tray has oh, and stuff. So good. Oh, it's just and yeah, like the freehand, and like if if Danny's army wasn't there. Uh, even if Danny's army wasn't there, there were still four or five really good armies. Yeah. Like us, like uh, Chris Cousins, he showed up with his Stormcast mm-hmm. army. Um, like he has like this this ceramic non-metallic metal style army. It looks fantastic. Well, yeah, um, Chris is uh, Chris is good for that. Yeah, uh, there was the Death Army. Like there was, uh, yeah. yeah, and uh, even um, like. Um, even the people that focus more on the game than the hobby, they still had armies that looked really phenomenal. Like Jared, he said he I, he doesn't like painting. He loves the hobby aspect. He loves the gaming, but he's not a big fan of painting. So he airbrushed his army up, uh, painting up the details, and it still looked really great. You know, he still like even managed to bring the details back up to the um, to a standard that it looks great across the table, and it makes you something that you want to play against. Yeah, absolutely, man. There. Uh so many good. Ugh. Oh, look, I could talk painting all day long. 
but I, I'm sadly, I'm sad to say our time is, oh, it's time to go. Um, Reese, thank you so much for coming on to talk cast orbs. I know that I'm, I'm not the, uh, the pinnacle or the cutting edge or anywhere near a cutting edge. I'm more like the blunt instrument at the other end of quality age of Sigma <laughs> podcast. Um, this is, as I said, this is a generalist show. And as I said, in the last episode, um, I am very age of Sigma curious. I'm planning to play a lot of it in 2019, or at least I'm hoping to. Um, and so I do plan on presenting content for the game because I really enjoy it. Um, that said, this will continue to be a generalist gaming podcast. I did have a lot of people asking, well, if you're spending a lot of time on Age of Sigmar, does that mean you're just going to go back to GW games? No. Um, GW's doing some great stuff, and I'm a little interested in some of the stuff they're doing right now, especially Age of Sigmar, but I'm super interested in other game systems as well. I mean, clearly, I just interviewed the author um, slash writer of Bot War, um, and in the very next episode that we do, we are going to be talking Harry Potter. So there's a lot of content coming in 2019. Yes, there might be some Games Workshop stuff, and I know that's something I haven't really done in the past, but it is something that will uh, we'll slip in there every now and then. But continue to look for weekly Cast Dice podcasts that are about a little bit everything, because that's kind of how we do. And I know that quite a few people have been throwing in tons of requests for me to talk about movies um, and other pop culture, pop culture phenomenon after the um, Bond episode. Those are coming. Um, the school holidays were just a little busier than I had planned, um, and lining up guests has been uh, problematic. But hopefully that will sort itself soon. Reese, again, thank you so much for coming on, man. I really appreciate it. Um, I know that I, again, am not super au fait with all of the Age of Sigmar rules, having not played a ton, but it is amazing to talk about an army that I love from a fluff standpoint, um, and I, I do plan on playing at some point soon, um, just to be able to talk about with someone who knows what they're doing um, and has had a good experience with it is pretty cool. Thanks, man. Yeah, and thank you very much for having me, Brad. Hey, maybe in the next few months, I'll be seeing some big hats across the table and yeah. uh, old man Morin, roll, uh, Morin uh, rolling some dice against me. Damn straight, man. We'll do it. We'll do it. And you can give me. You can help me by showing me what I'm doing wrong on the table. I'll show you the tricks of the trade. <laughs> yes. All right, man. Hey, man. Well, thank um, you very much for having me. And yeah, good luck with the next couple of weeks. Sounds like you've got a big, uh, big, uh, uh, yes, a big thing in your plate. I will be. I will be spending a lot of time in airports. Uh, for those who don't know, um, we are recording this. If you hear this, I am currently traveling. Um, we are recording this right before I roll. So. Um, this will drop, though, while I am out and about. I will be back soon, and the weekly schedule will continue. Um, I do want to quickly say, though, as always, that if you are playing Age of Sigmar or any game that you know uh, that we love, I hope that you are, A, having a nice cool beverage, that your dice are rolling hot, but more than anything else, I hope you are having fun. This is Cast Dice saying good night.